0: In today's episode, we will be discussing the most recent episode of Your Honor, Part 18, now 90% of the way through this show.
1: There's just one episode left?
0: Two. Two.
1: Two. Okay. Yes. Makes sense.
0: Yeah, I don't think one would not be enough given where I we, was and, a little
1: bit concerned, <laughs> and it was on my list of things to ask you about because you always know off the top of your head how many episodes are left.
0: Although I got it wrong last week on the Last of Us, I was saying we have three more episodes, and I'm like, oh no, we have two. <laughs> We're much closer <laughs> to moving along. Which, by the way, like it only seems like one episode doesn't make that big a difference, but you know, when you're down to the last two, it's very different. Being down to the last three versus the last two is very different.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So we are kicking it old school this week in that uh, we're going to go through the whole episode because normally I do the recaps and then I bring you in for just general conversation. But since I haven't recorded that yet, I figure we'll just knock it all out at once. Great. Let's do it. Before we get to that, I wanted to talk about a few things quickly that I saw this week, and Of course, leave you space if you want to recommend something also. First of all, I did see the most recent episode of Poker Face, the eighth episode, ninth? Is it eighth or ninth? Regardless, we are one week away. Next week is the finale. It sets up the finale. Ryan Johnson came back to direct this episode, and it was really a lot of fun. It wasn't what I expected from the trailer, very much because Ryan Johnson was coming back. It felt like it was going to be a bunch of people stuck in a cabin together, and who's the killer? Because of Knives Out, I felt like that was a formula that he's kind of followed in the past. But that wasn't the case. But still, it was very entertaining. I liked how the story kept revealing itself just when you think you know what's happening. And like the backstory of the characters and what really happened in the past is still being revealed until almost the very end of the episode. So I thought it was very clever. And it has a pretty funny button on the whole thing where our protagonist thinks she's off the hook. And then maybe she's not. I won't spoil anything. But it was a lot of fun. And honestly, if you're, ha- are you're behind on the show, I do recommend people watch this show, by the way, in general. Even the worst episodes have been fun, as you would expect from this type of show. But it's pretty inconsequential if you miss episodes in between. You can honestly watch just the first episode and then jump to this episode. <laughs> and uh, you wouldn't have missed that much as far as character development, that is, because it is very much a weekly procedural. If you wanted to have an abbreviated version of the season, watch episode one, watch episode five, Watch episode eight and nine. And in those four episodes, which is about two hours of television, you would pretty much have everything you need to know for the finale. Now, if you go back and watch those in-between episodes, hey, you can watch them in any order. <laughs> it's pretty much that type <laughs> of show. Right? Uh, and they are better ones and worse ones, but it is very entertaining. How far are you on that show, Son? Have you been keeping up with it?
1: I have not been keeping up. So maybe I will do your suggestion of just watching those specific episodes because I did enjoy it. I just, um, you know, as usual, my life gets in the way.
0: Sure. Episode one is a real standout. You can just watch that by itself. It's like a little movie. It's really almost perfect. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: uh, we were talking about how it's surprising that there are certain shows that are very popular now that are old school television. This is very much Mm -hmm. old school television. Remember where you would watch the premiere episode... And then there would be kind of filler episodes. And then you had to tune in like right. during d- during November sweeps. Like if someone was going to hook up or someone was going to mm-hmm. break up or whatever, mm-hmm. you had to watch that episode. And then you could come back at the end of the season. It's very much like that type of of show. And then the ones in between, like if you think about Friends, there were like those three or four episodes where all the character development happened. And then the in-between episodes, everybody would be like, I like this one. I don't like that one. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, that's that's pretty much the formula here also. This is also hugely popular, by the way. Nielsen always has its streaming numbers released a whole month back. And so last week was the first time that this show popped up on the list. At that point, it was the first time Peacock ever had had a show appear on the streaming charts at all because it's such a small niche player. And now in the second week, it was the most streamed show of original content on streaming, of all streaming. So it's a very, very popular show, especially by Peacock standards, which have like, they're invisible <laughs> as far as these ratings usually go. <laughs> and uh, so it's, it's been a big success for them. I don't know if they can build on it or not. They, I don't think they have enough content to pay off, but, but check that out. It is a lot of fun. Second cool. thing I saw, and you may have not caught up on this yet, Sona, last night's episode of Shrinking was terrific. It was terrific.
1: I haven't seen last night's episode, but I have. I am up to date except for this most recent one. And I'm happy to hear it was terrific because I didn't love the ending of the previous weeks.
0: Yes, and there's a conversation by the way, just to preview it. I have a conversation here with Sarah, the psychotherapist that I bring Mm -hmm. on here to discuss shows sometimes. And she of course had many things to say about the psychotherapy or lack thereof represented in that show. (laughs) I was complaining in that conversation, which will be in this episode, so stay tuned, it's coming later in the episode. I felt that after like a really great start, it kind of was treading water, and I was hoping that things would start clicking into place more a little bit uh, with the characters. And I felt this most recent episode, the one after I made that complaint, the one that just premiered this week, was so good. It, it was so funny. It, the observations were great. It did the type of thing that Ted Lasso does also, where the episodes end on these like cliffhanger soap opera moments. And instead of making a big drama out of it, people just are adults and talk to each other and just resolve things very quickly. It's like very non-combative. And then in that same episode, there's a confrontation between Harrison Ford's character and his daughter that mm-hmm. goes terribly wrong. So in the middle of this kind of like, see if you're just adults and are nice to each other, you can overcome these things. And then you have that sudden confrontation in the middle of the episode where you're like, you know what? Some things, it's not that easy. So it's, uh, it's <laughs> that scene specifically really stood out to me because you really sympathize with both characters in the conversation. thought it was a really great episode after being kind of eh, on the show for maybe the last two or three weeks.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to watching it.
0: I think it's back on the right footing and it is getting close to the end of the season. So I think it's when things are going to start being a little tighter. Very much like traditional television again, it's kind of like, you know, it's allowed to be flabby. (laughs) And Mm, we're so used to watching Breaking Bad, (laughs) where every single episode is, you know, essential. I think TV is kind of reverting back to old school TV in a way.
1: Interesting.
0: For better or worse. (laughs) Right. Speaking of that, I uh, also watched The Mandalorian, which premiered this week. (laughs) This is very funny to me. I've not been a huge fan of Star Wars shows. I'm kind of a little bit more on board because I loved Andor. I thought it was terrific. So I'm like, well, maybe they're going to step up their game here with this show as well. And I can't even judge it because it literally is like the first act. I'm going to go do this, fade to black. (laughs) And I'm just like, okay. (laughs) So we basically (laughs) see just the first. 10 minutes of it. I mean, it's half an hour long, but it really felt like just the beginning of an episode. So I'm sure I can have an opinion maybe after two or three more episodes. They really should have dropped two or three episodes at once if mm-hmm. they were just going to dole out the plot this slowly. I'm like, okay, I don't even know what that was about. <laughs> it's mm. too, too early to tell, but not impressed. I got to say, not impressed at this point. So, but I will save that judgment for next week. And also next week in Monday's episode, Celia and I will be discussing. The Last of Us, which is now just one episode away from completion. And that show has been very interesting, especially in the past couple episodes. I'm also going to include there, I've seen all 10 nominated films for Best Picture, Sona, by the way, and I'm going to have them ranked from my favorite to my least favorite. And just a minor spoiler here that I actually like every one of the Oscar nominated films, except for one. (laughs) So it's... (laughs) Tune in to find out what my number 10 is, my least favorite of those nominated films. And of course, the Oscars are just two weeks away now. So I wanted to have that episode ahead of time so people could catch up. Most of them are available to stream. So I'll tell you also in that episode where you can watch these films if you want to get caught up before Oscar night. All right. That's what I watched. A lot of stuff I was watching. Um... Anything you watched that you wanted to recommend or suggest?
1: Well, as usual, I cannot compare to your prolific watching habits. (laughs) I don't expect Um, anyone to. (laughs) You know, one thing that we had texted about, talking about in the future is that I did see the first half of You on Netflix, which Mm -hmm. I personally really enjoyed. They took the show in a different direction. This show all along has kind of reminded me of Dexter in some ways that kind of continues with the plot of this new season. But I, I'm hoping that this particular version of this plot that was done in Dexter as well is going to be better than, <laughs> than
0: it was in Dexter, <laughs> to put it bluntly. But they, try, they tried twice with Dexter and failed. Maybe, yeah. maybe it'll work this time.
1: Right. So let's see what happens, but I'm optimistic. I like the direction the show is going in. I think, Ken Badgley remains very, very watchable and makes for a very likable serial killer. (laughs) We've got all those social media remarks that were going on, right, about maybe not social media, but press remarks that were going on about not feeling comfortable doing sex scenes anymore. And I have opinions about that but we can talk about it later
0: (laughs) you know what i want to have that conversation my wife has watched the first half of course i can't get my wife to watch more than three episodes of anything gone headlong and watched all of you by the way sona this is a recommendation for you also I also because she was back in the groove of actually watching tv every single night and she binged all of you i had suggested she should watch bad sisters a show that i just Mm -hmm. caught up on recently and i reviewed it here with celia so guys everybody check out i think just two episodes ago we were discussing that so do catch up with that that's on apple tv plus also so if you're watching shrinking obviously you can watch that and kind of like the proof is in the pudding she is completely addicted she's been binging that show so if my wife will watch it I think that's a very good sign that almost anybody would get addicted to this show.
1: I've heard tons of good things about it. So I I actually would like to watch that. That's on my list for sure.
0: And one more follow-up on your conversation about you. I wanted to just briefly bring up some things to watch this week. Uh, I'm not going to go into everything that's coming out this spring because it's so much next week. I'm going to save this for next week. Starting next week, every single week is just packed with stuff to watch. Uh, But this upcoming week, there's not that much. Uh, But one thing that you can watch, and I'd forgotten until you brought it up right now the second half of this season of You is coming this same week on Wednesday, I believe. So, everybody who's a You fan, it's coming back in just a few more days. So, keep your eyes peeled for that. Other than that, not that much that I can mention that you might want to check out. Perry Mason, anybody who watches that, I never watched that show, but somehow, I don't think it's very popular, but somehow it's coming back to HBO on Monday. It starts Monday with uh, its final season, I'm pretty sure. Another TV show you might want to check out is a comedy on Hulu called Unprisoned. Have you heard about this, Sona?
1: I have been seeing the commercials for it, and I am a huge Kerry Washington fan. Seems like it should appeal to me.
0: Yeah, I think this sounds really interesting. I It's uh, Kerry Washington, like you mentioned. She's a therapist. Her father, played by Delroy Lindo, which is one of my favorite actors also, and just wrapped up on The Good Fight last year, that Show just ended on Paramount+. Plus. Definitely catch up on that show, like one of the very best legal dramas of the past 10 years or so. Uh, And he was one of the stars of that show. He plays her father, who's been in jail for 16 years. He's now out of jail and moves in with her. She's a therapist. So I'm sure... Wackiness, zaniness and <laughs> ensues. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> but it's not a sitcom, right? Yeah.
0: It's a comedy. It's a dramedy, I think, is the way they're okay. pitching it. So it has comedic elements, obviously. She suddenly has this absentee father living with her. Uh, he, of course, must have his own history. He's going to be uncomfortable with this whole situation. And of course, she has clients, uh, etc. That And all these things are going to dovetail together. So there's supposed to be comedy and obviously going to be some kind of drama here as well. Pitched as primarily a comedy or at least partially a comedy so i don't think it's like a grim dark uh drama here so i mean that's premiering this week also so check that out if that sounds interesting it cool. definitely sounds interesting to me oh and the yes. last thing i was going to bring up not a tv show but sona scream six is coming this week
1: i just saw a commercial yesterday They're Coming to new york are they to, to, to you, i didn't sona. realize that from the commercial <laughs>
0: Yeah, they open the f- opening of the uh, trailer is someone. I mean, is uh, someone on a subway being stalked? So it's uh yeah, it's uh, New York City.
1: Oh, I must have missed the couple seconds. My usual short attention span. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not even a trailer. Now you can't even make it through a trailer.
1: <laughs> I can't even make it through the trailer. It was a commercial and not a trailer. In my defense. <laughs>
0: So that's even worse, Sona. That's like 15 seconds. <laughs> but it, pro- it probably may not have provided a New York City context there. To, to I
1: think I, it caught my attention because I saw Ghostface. So I think I was a little bit zoned out until I saw that iconic character. And then I kind of like snapped Tened into in. it.
0: And, uh, and Sona and I discussed the Scream series in a previous episode. Maybe I'll repost part of that conversation. And I'm definitely going to try to watch this. I've seen every single one of these films
1: you are except so loyal.
0: For, except for four, except for in, in the theaters, I'm saying. I I actually did see four and I actually liked four very much, by the way. I think it's a forgotten strong uh, chapter in that series of films. The rest of them I've seen in theaters. So uh, even the most recent one, uh, Brave, the pandemic to see that movie in theaters. And that's premiering this Friday. So do check out that out. I will try to have a review of it here in the feed somewhere. All right. That's most of what I had for a preface. Let's get into- your honor part 18 i pushed you to do things to exact revenge
2: so that the pain might be a little easier to bear but that didn't help none of none of that made it any better and we can never change the fundamental truth that it's your fault that Rocco is dead, and I will never love you again
0: the episode opens we actually see Michael is feeding baby Rocco and he's loving it we've jumped ahead in time I actually thought we were going to almost be in real time considering the last two episodes seem to all take place in one night I thought this was going to be, the clock was ticking and this show was, uh, you know, like a 24-hour window before it all Wouldn't wrapped up.
1: Wouldn't that have been interesting?
0: <laughs> it would have been tense, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, it seems like it has jumped a little bit ahead. We see Fia is living with Michael now. It seems to have been at least, what would you guess, at least a few weeks since the last episode. Yeah,
1: that seems right. Because the club is opening. Right. Eugene has is in jail. and
0: Yes, mm-hmm. It's not like the next day. It's taking a little bit of time here.
1: Yeah. Fia seems pretty settled in at Michael's. Exactly.
0: Yeah. She's all dressed up to get her GED. Does she have to dress up to go for this GED test? I don't (laughs) know. Maybe I didn't think about that until I just said it right now out loud. But uh, she is trying to get her GED since she dropped out of school because, of course, she was pregnant with baby Rocco. She mentions here, this is going to come back at the end of the episode, that she remembers going to see her guidance counselor in high school and making your five-year plan. And Michael mentions that life never really sticks to a five-year plan. Did we do a five-year plan in high school? I don't remember that. Is that that a new thing? (laughs) I think we should make one, by the way.
1: I definitely did not. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel I was largely left to my own devices. I don't know about (laughs) you. Yeah, I feel the same way too. I was just kind (laughs) of like, I
0: don't know. They're just like, whatever you decide. I'm like, I don't know, how do you help me here? (laughs) So after Sophia leaves, Olivia shows up, You know, of course, through the back door again. Smiling, going like, oh, look at you, the proud grandpa. And Michael's just like, not happy to see her at all. Mm -hmm. Did you miss me? No, I didn't. I didn't miss you at all, Olivia. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, here, though, he says he's out. He doesn't want to deal with this anymore. Arrest me if you have to, but I'm not doing this anymore. Olivia mentions that Sophia is now her new target. Can you get Sophia to flip on? her family, he tells her to go f off. <laughs> but she seems a little desperate here. Don't you think this is interesting that she seems so confident about her plan earlier? Has this all been hanging on Sophia's cooperation that does I, I don't understand this a little bit. That's she, something
1: that I was wondering about as I watched it, you know, because we've been talking about how she clearly has some sort of grand plan for how this is all going to work out. Yeah. And thinking back to those earlier episodes and those first conversations between them, where you know, she says that she knows what Michael is capable of and not capable of. And it she's actually counting on it and it's all going to work out. And I, I'm wondering, was this always the end game? I'm not clear on it.
0: I, agree. I have the same. I had the same question.
1: I mean, she knew about the grandchild, yeah. right? So there is yeah, a theory absolutely. that yeah. in her head, she knew that they would grow closer because of the grandchild and this would work. She would have that leverage. It's a possibility, but I don't think it's been explicit that this was always the intention.
0: Next, we see that Monique is smiling at the sign that's being put up there within a day or so of the grand opening. She puts her girlfriend's name up there in the lights. She steps into the street and Gina almost runs her down. How funny would it have been if that <laughs> is the end to the story is just an accidental hit and run. It would be full circle on this show, by the way.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, it would.
0: It <laughs> be the end. <laughs> As you mentioned, Eugene is in jail. Lee goes to visit him, and she brings him some drawing materials, which are nice. Nice of her. It's almost like she's been semi-retired. It seems that they hint at here multiple mm-hmm. times that a she's been doing just you know probate law or something like that. She kind of got out of this line of work probably because she got burned so badly by this experience. But also later on, when she's talking to the DA, the DA goes, "Hey, you know, you're gonna burn a lot of bridges if you come after us or you try to threaten us with some of the threats." She'll make over the course of this episode. And she's like, basically like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm done being a lawyer.
1: Which is a feeling a lot of people have after practicing <laughs> I'm sure for about that's how long case. this lady seems to have been practicing. <laughs> yeah.
0: She has an interesting conversation with him. She mentions how much time are you actually willing to serve? She goes and talks to the DA about cutting a deal, like I mentioned. He says life without parole. And she tries to make some kind of sideways threats saying, well, you know what? I can make a case here. Some of the same cops that are going to be the witnesses are the same corrupt cops that told us all that he was dead. Mm -hmm. She has a little bit to play here. And the DA says that the only possible arrangement he can make is if Eugene promises to flip on desire. Eugene does not like this plan. (laughs) He does not think he's going to survive 30 years inside of prison, considering his brother didn't even last a week. Uh, and he was probably, you know, he at least Eugene thinks his brother was much tougher than he was. And Lee met- mentions to him, however, that she is afraid of pushing too far in threatening the DA and the police department, because if you think the Desire gang might kill you if you turn on them, these cops might kill you while you're in prison if, if we threaten to reveal all the skeletons in their closets as well.
1: I mean, certainly a paperwork nightmare, if nothing else.
0: <laughs> yes, she does go and eventually meet with the DA once again, and comes up with a different strategy, which I found pretty interesting. I want to get your feedback on how does she protect Eugene? She doesn't want to go after Desire. She doesn't want to go after the cops. She comes up with a pretty clever strategy, mm-hmm. I think here, where she says, I have information. Michael Desiato was compromised in that case that I worked on with him. Mm-hmm. If he's a compromised judge, I can say, hey, maybe we got to reopen all of these cases. This is a logistical nightmare for the DA, right? If that happened. So, what did you think about this? This seems to be a pretty impressive gambit.
1: Yes, I I thought very smart, very unexpected, very creative, (laughs) creative problem solving. (laughs) Yes. I mean, who knows if you would actually go through with it or not. But I thought it was a great way to present it. And uh, I like the reaction of that's what it comes down to. Do you really want to deal with the consequences of that? No, you would not.
0: That's what her threat is to to them. And but that's also where he throws back at her that if you did that, you know, no one would ever work with you right. again. And she's, she's just okay like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I'll go sell real estate. I don't care. I'm done with this.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> My retirement plan is in place. I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. Yes, not much of a Jimmy threat. Do <laughs> me that favor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jimmy, what's up with Jimmy? Lots of things here in this episode. He's getting dressed in his room. I guess he's actually staying in the room that Fia was staying in at the hotel because he's not allowed back in the house. Mm-hmm. He sees that empty crib. And an empty house as well. He can't, He's not allowed to see his family. Not And of course, Fia's left. However, he goes and he meets with Carlo, who has upgraded the security, his vision of the future. We're going to have the cloud, everybody. I'm like, yeah, this is cutting edge technology, Carlo, 15 years ago. <laughs> Congratulations. I know.
1: Yes. It seems strange to me that they had not already had that in place, but okay.
0: <laughs> Dad, you can see it on your phone. It's like, wow, you mean like the way I can monitor my baby on the baby monitor? Wow. <laughs> Gina shows up and, of course, after nearly running down, <laughs> Monique <laughs> is reminded, of course, that the fact that she is right across the street and um, they're saying, you know, they have to have double or triple their security mm-hmm. because those people are coming. Those people. And mm-hmm. uh, and on the one hand, uh, racist subtext, more than subtext. Generally. Yes. Oh, and I just found it interesting here that they ask Carlo if he's heard from his sister. She, He says, no, he has not.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: but they say she's still staying with Desiato. So it's not a mystery as to where she is. They know full well. But somehow they know that's where she is. Somehow they're monitoring him and do not see Olivia showing up at the house every two days. (laughs) I don't know, understand? (laughs) understand. Olivia actually lives in a tent in their backyard. So they never see her exit (laughs) from the front. (laughs) Okay, this is a great scene, by the way. Gina goes and meets with one of these grief counselor members.
1: (laughs) Yes, this was good.
0: She apologizes for dismissing her son as just another heroin addict, which, of course, is ironic. Gina, your son deals heroin, just like you. Mm -hmm. And I do see that you have a little softening here. This is something we have never, ever seen (laughs) of Gina, that she has this softer side. And she's really looking, honestly, for someone to. Connect to. She doesn't have her husband anymore. She feels like she's losing her kids. She can never show this vulnerable side anyway. So I thought all of this was really interesting. She says she has no female friends, not a surprise. <laughs> right.
1: I don't know if I would describe it as a more humanizing version of her or they're walking back the over the top Lady Macbeth aspect, but <laughs> right. I did feel she was a lot more bearable, reasonable. I'm not sure but um there was something happening that made her, it less of a caricature and more of a real person this episode.
0: You're absolutely correct. Maybe it's just cuz you know it's like any water in the desert but it's like the <laughs> fact that, <laughs> the fact that they've like never allowed her to be anything other than that one-dimensional version right. of herself really did soften her to just think like in the end despite being this monster to, to everybody around her she is just a mom who is losing you know feels like she's losing all her bearings uh, around her. I did find also this scene was interesting that she says you know, since your son died of a heroin overdose if a heroin dealer moved in across the street what would you do and she says mm-hmm. i would burn the house down to the ground and she says to her i do think we're going to become friends.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we have the same perspective. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. So it's the opening night of the club. Jimmy is very proud of his son. He mentions that when you have real power, you don't have to wear a tie anymore. For now, he looks good and uh, wear a tie. It's okay because you're actually the boss of people who are older than you. So show a little respect. This is all probably good advice, but I thought this scene was mm-hmm. pretty good. Janelle's getting ready to make her big debut. Monique goes to talk to her, fully made up to go on stage. She looked beautiful. She did. She looked great. She says that she'll be hers after the show, but don't mess up her makeup. And she says forever. And she says yes. And of course we knew that earlier Mm -hmm. she had a ring in the safe Mm -hmm. back at Bufa's. Bufa's. That's quite a name for a club, (laughs) (laughs) which is like the HQ for the, the gang. So we know she's going to make a proposal probably tonight. Gina decides to go meet the neighbors and brings Carlo along. She brings some expensive liquor. I mean- isn't yeah. This, did you I recognize
1: think, that bottle? I'm wondering Yes. It it's, it's
0: a recognizable bottle. It's not, I mean, it could be like aged or something. It's not, I don't think it, like a crazy expensive bottle of booze. I'm trying to remember what it is. A cognac, I mean, she I
1: said think. something about a $500 shot, right?
0: Which- Yes. And maybe, like I said, maybe it's an aged bottle, but it's-
1: a... I mean, we all know I... the markup when you go out is insane, but it, it yes, should at that's, least that's, still be yes, a exactly. $75 shot maybe.
0: <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> This whole scene is pretty interesting. They show up at the door. Something almost happens there. Why is Gina always just poking the hornet's nest? I don't understand. Carl, of course, is the cooler head here, but things almost break out. Russell shows up. He's like the replacement for Lil Mo. And Mm -hmm. uh, he breaks up the scene. You know, he kind of placates Gina, lets her inside. And then Monique, of course, doesn't make things better, you know, drinking directly from the bottle and then Mm -hmm. like spilling some out for their homies, like this Mm -hmm. expensive gift. Not for nothing, but this is not actually a gift. Gina, you know, she even says, hey, you know, a lot of clubs go out of business very quickly. So enjoy your opening day. It might not last long. (laughs) So none of this is friendly anyway, but it's all power posturing for each other. And then meanwhile, while Janelle is performing, it turns out that Chris has led a group of these former Desire members or Desire members possibly, to uh, ransack Bufas. I think they hit all the all their um, hiding spots at the same time. So they take a lot of their money, but the big bag of cash to pay off the heroin deal back to that drug dealer back in Houston, that money actually exited you know, earlier in the episode. So that, that payback occurred. I just bring that up because if they really wanted to hurt her if that payback didn't hmm. occur, that would have been way more devastating, I think, to to the gang than um, Interesting than
1: point. Hmm.
0: And at this moment, by the way, when they're ransacking the place, I thought it was going to matter that this one girl who survives the uh, mm-hmm. attack, Chris lets her go and he rec- she recognizes him. Mm-hmm. But I don't even think that matters because he takes right. the engagement ring from inside the safe and leaves the a balloon, a heroin balloon, right. uh, back in there. So she knows immediately that this is Chris who did that. I, I don't think he's playing coy about it.
1: Yes, which I'm happy also that it wasn't some wacky misunderstanding that the Baxter family was involved somehow.
0: Yes. I mean, that would have been uh tired at this point. Yeah. And while they're investigating this whole thing, Janelle rolls in and almost gets shot because they turn on her and she gets really upset about this. I'm sorry, but like, if you just heard <laughs> that your drug dealing girlfriend's HQ has been raided and they're going in their guns drawn, don't roll up on there unannounced. I'm yeah, sorry. You just don't do it. I
1: mean- This girl just seems a little bit naive, considering. Yes, she does
0: not know who Mo is. Caught up in here. (laughs) This is another really interesting scene that comes later in the episode. We see that Olivia goes to visit Sophia at Michael's house, and really makes a really good case, I have to say. And I maybe this is like the one moral quandary in this episode, legitimately, that she's saying these are all the people who've been killed. That Adam's being shot is a cascade effect to the actions your family mm-hmm. has made. And even if you don't want revenge for that, how many other innocent people are going to die because you take no action? And I think that that is a legitimate moral question that Michael and Sophia should both be asking themselves. So I like I that aspect. Agree. Yeah, but
1: I also think they have done a really consistent job of establishing that she is 17 years old. Now I'm looking back from middle age. Okay. So my perspective is different at 17. I'm sure I thought I knew everything and that I had the ability to make such a decision with all of my years of experience living on this earth. But in middle age, I do feel consistent with Michael's point that he made this is a child. What are you doing? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right,
3: right.
1: <laughs> You First of all, yes, you can't talk to her without having an adult around. And right. second, or at least you shouldn't be. And, and second, just where is your own personal morality that you want a 17-year-old right. to mm-hmm. make that right. type of, you're trying to strong arm a 17-year-old into right. making that decision. I, I don't know. It just didn't sit right with me objectively based on that.
0: I agree with all of that. And as a matter of fact, I thought that the way that all played out was so cool that, you know, he shows up and he's like Mm -hmm. shocked to see Olivia. And then she plays like coy, like, I don't know who you are. And then he's like playing Mm -hmm. a little game of chess here going like, oh, you know who I am? I'm her lawyer. So now Olivia's (laughs) going to play along and be like, uh, I guess I have to end my interrogation now. (laughs) So that was all very well done, I thought. But yeah, to that point that he basically says, what are you thinking? She's a child. But it does put the onus. And once again, I think maybe this is the plan it puts the onus back on Michael saying like, yeah, Mm -hmm. Michael, you say you're out. You say you're out. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go for Sophia because I need to get close. And you know, of course, that's where we wrap up at the end here is that he says, leave her alone and I'll get you that access, which of course is probably what she's been really going for this whole entire time anyway. I want to get your opinion on how things end here with Michael. But before we get there, a few other things happen. It seems like Michael's trying to get his Affairs in order. Maybe he sees that there's an exit coming, but he goes to his bank and he checks on his five twenty nine account that he had set up for Adam, and asks what kind of options he options he has for that. Of course, we know that inevitably, even at this earlier on in the episode, we were pretty certain that that check was going to end up in Sophia's hands. She does ask him during this conversation if he's still a lawyer. He goes, "No, but you know, I can still give you advice because he's been disbarred, obviously, given all this." (laughs) <laughs> yeah Being in usually jail and such. you
1: can't be convicted of a felony and still be a lawyer, usually
0: <laughs> was Murdoch is that what's his name Murdoch, the the South Carolina mm-hmm. lawyer? Was mm-hmm. he still practicing law until during until this case went through? Do you know?
1: It's a good question. i I believe so. I don't know if he was actively practicing. I haven't been following it super closely, but that's part of how all of this was spiraling, right? is that he was somehow pilfering funds from his law he was firm embezzling. They Yeah, they had it was found a, yeah. out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yep. Um, I don't know if they brought any character and fitness complaint in connection with that. I'm not sure in the timeline how those things converged or didn't converge. I would assume that stealing money from your law firm would get you disbarred. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. If, if nothing else, minus all the murders as well.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Regardless
0: of the murders. So Michael does give her this 529 money and tells her to start a new five-year plan. Says, I'm not your lawyer, but I can still give you advice and I would get far away from here. Maybe a good piece of advice and we could speculate on where that's heading, but maybe she's leaving town and maybe he is going into the viper's nest to meet with Jimmy and the rest of the family. Gina and Jimmy have breakfast the next day on her veranda. He seems happy, like he thinks this is going to be a Mm -hmm. peace offering. She says she'll never love him again cuz he's responsible because he bought the motorcycle. Now on the one hand I think this is pretty cruel that she throws this in his face yet again, but on the other hand there are plenty of people who are in somewhat similar re- situations with maybe a car accident, maybe something totally out of the control of another parent and maybe you just never can forgive that person, not because it, Gina will will make him is certain to make him feel the pain of her indictment, but It's probably honest right like sometimes you just can't let things go
1: i think it was very honest and i think it was said in a very calm manner and that you know it didn't seem mm -hmm. like she was talking out of emotion um coming from a place of hysteria or anything like that and i think it is natural there's this concept in the law of of, but for causation or proximate causation of you know basically you're tracking back all the events like when was your last clear chance to avoid this outcome Right? right. And it is true, had he not bought the motorcycle, none of this would have happened. Right. That's right. In that way, her conclusion is correct. Every bad thing that happens, every good thing that happens has something that set it into motion. And we'll drive ourselves crazy if we go through our lives over analyzing where that moment was and whether something could have been done to change it. But I do think this is a very human way to look at it. And so in that way, and this is kind of goes back to what I was saying before, she's relatable in a way that right. I have not seen her be in other episodes.
0: She's such a conservative person that marriage really does matter to her. She doesn't want to necessarily get a divorce if she doesn't need to. But I think she is giving him an honest assessment here because we've seen her be so spiteful and full of venom and she's not here she seems to be telling him mm-hmm. a fact that's like she cannot get over this period mm-hmm. and as a counterpoint to earlier when she is being kind of spiteful she says i'm glad to see you having a good relationship with your dad but just remember like i own you <laughs> when she's talking to you Carla, came you came out of, out of my body <laughs> exactly <laughs> you're marked for life <laughs> so uh, it's a very different kind of tone versus those two scenes obviously
1: Yeah. And I think this, you know, as much as this is fiction, you know, it is a real thing of it, you know, statistically, and I don't know what the statistic is, but, you know, how hard it is for couples to overcome the loss of a child and the amount of them that split up just because that grieving is too much to bear. And I think for reasons like this, of you know, well, had you not done this one thing, our child would still be here. It's tremendously, tremendously Difficult, painful, every negative emotion there is. So, I did like this very practical perspective on their son's death that we haven't really seen up to now.
0: Yeah, I agree. We're towards the very end of the episode here. Lee goes and visits Eugene again and tells him, "I have more information. You don't have to turn on Desire. I got you a deal," which sounds like a pretty damn good deal. Ten years for negligent homicide with good behavior. That's probably like three years. I mean, you intentionally tried to kill somebody and accidentally killed somebody else with transference mm-hmm. or whatever. That's probably a much, much more serious crime. I don't know all the ins and outs of that. You probably know better than me. And he yeah. says, no deal. I want to go to trial. I want to go to trial. <laughs> I think it's a bad idea on his part. What do you think?
1: That's the judgment of a 16-year-old. This is what That's I'm true, saying. True,
0: true. <laughs> yes, good point. Very good point.
1: No, it seems like an excellent deal. I don't know what he's thinking.
0: I mean, I guess he wants to have his day in court and speak his truth and get it out there, like all these things, but that just puts a target on his back. And if they're going to go down the road of this story becomes a huge headline grabbing fiasco, then I mean, that could be like a whole season of TV. So it seems like very late in the game to be introducing that. (laughs) I, I have a feeling like he's just not long for this world, unfortunately.
1: Just speaking from an objective view... There is no world where he did not intend to murder one person and right. end up murdering mm-hmm. someone else. So right. what does he think he's going to gain by this?
0: Exactly. Right. Like, what is he going to say? <laughs> that's not yeah. who I was trying to kill. Right. There's no world
1: people. where they're like, not guilty. So- <laughs> yeah.
0: And be like, well, you don't understand that guy killed my brother. And that's not, <laughs> that doesn't hold not up to I'm sorry. Not a good reason. <laughs> <So it's> like- <laughs> It's not like, oh, yes, the eye for an eye defense.
1: (laughs) The retribution defense.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. And if someone else gets in the way of that bullet, oh, well, we got to let you go. (laughs) These things happen. You got to go home. Innocent people just get shot all the time. Wrong
1: time, wrong place.
0: <laughs> Whose fault is it really? <laughs> it really is Adam's fault because that is the chain of events that led to this. But, uh, well, but it Eugene, goes back to the motorcycle. Eugene doesn't know that.
1: <laughs> Jimmy never bought the motorcycle, none of this would have <laughs> Exactly.
0: <happened. laughs> exactly. That, that's going to be his defense. And he's going to have Gina go up on the stand yes. and say like, you're right, Eugene. <laughs> It is Jimmy's fault after all. Consumerism (laughs) is the real crime. (laughs) That's right. Did he need that motorcycle? I don't think so. Nope. And then we have that final moment I mentioned already earlier where Michael meets with Olivia on that bench and says, if you leave her alone, I'm going to get you close to Jimmy Baxter. Right. And then next week we see pretty oblique scenes here, but it seems to be that Jimmy is making an offer to Michael which I can't imagine what that offer is going to be.
1: I have no idea. I think it was very um, (laughs) Madman-esque in its (laughs) uh, scenes for the next episode, where you're kind of like, I recognize all these people (laughs) as characters on the show, but I can't tell a darn (laughs) thing about what the plot is going to be.
0: You see, Eugene is in court at one moment. Mm-hmm. And I think Gina is there also. I assume this is the grand jury, right? This is not going to be an actual, unless I got to jump months ahead, maybe, who knows?
1: Grand jury indictments generally don't have the defendant testifying at them. present. It, right? Every now and then it happens. As a rule of thumb, the defendant does not testify at the grand jury. So I think it may be a full on trial.
0: <laughs> that would be very rapid uh, going straight to trial.
1: Well, you know, I have issues with the legal accuracy of this yes. show, so.
0: <laughs> correct, correct. It would be funny though, if like next week, it's just like one year later, I'm like, what? <laughs> the kids walk, the baby's walking around. You're like, what, what, what happened here? What happened? <laughs> do you have any speculation for what the end game here is in the show? Honestly, I don't know what's happening in Olivia's head, but just given the pieces that are on the board, do you have an idea where this is going? It still feels to me, I enjoyed this episode, by the way, I definitely liked it. I did too this is maybe one of the strongest episodes they've ever had. And simultaneously, I feel like uh, I'm definitely vested in Monique's story, but I'm like, how does this story, not that I'm not interested in those characters, but you can cut that whole entire storyline out of this show. Yes. Uh, yes. Other than like when Monique just pops up in the background as like a antagonist for Gina or whatever. And it doesn't add anything to the show plot-wise or thematically either. But I could be wrong about that. There could be some come up and tie it all
1: together somehow. Exactly.
0: But it doesn't feel like it's going in that direction. That's what I'm...
1: I mean, I am not one to speculate and I am not good (laughs) at speculating either. So I don't have a good track record. I will just say, you know, I thought this was a good episode. I thought it was solid. I thought it did a nice job of establishing the tension that will be, and I think a continuation too, of the last episodes of yeah. slowly, slowly, like the slow burn jacking up of the tension. I did enjoy that. And I feel like, you know, we've talked about before the penultimate episode is often where things really come to a head. I am ex- I have big expectations for next week. We'll see.
0: Yes. And once again, I'm very curious about that snippet they show where Jimmy is telling Michael make this deal with me and i'm like what does michael have to mm-hmm. offer jimmy mm-hmm. at this point so i'm very curious to know what the purpose of that is
1: well he has the connection to sophia maybe it yes. could have something to do with that
0: if she's out of the picture if she's actually run off then he would right. be a way to get back to her yes it's true
1: it also sets up nicely this idea i mean michael does have his grandson now who he clearly <laughs> adores the larger plot has kind of been that michael has nothing left to lose so when people have nothing left to lose, they're liable to do almost yeah. anything. I think it will be interesting to see how this plays out, where except for the grandson, he probably feels like he could live or die. It doesn't really matter.
0: My theory of the case, for the reasons you just said, I feel like Michael's like on a suicide run.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: And he wants to take out the Baxters because he just figures that Sophia will never sign off on that, obviously. Mm-hmm. And if he believes what Olivia said... Being like, you got to take these people off the board. They Mm -hmm. are going to kill other people. They're going to kill innocent people. They're going to come after you and hurt the people around you. They're going to potentially hurt Sophia. They're going to drag this kid, this baby into this future life of crime. And he could just be like, well, (laughs) if I don't care about my own well-being, I can blow them up (laughs) or something. Mm -hmm. And then they are no longer a threat. And it's not on uh, Sophia. It's just on me. Which right. is simplified, by the way, because Sophia would always feel some kind of guilt, like, how did I not see this coming? Or did I lead to this happening to my family? But in his mind, it might just be like, hey, it's the only way to eliminate the, the immediate threat, potentially.
1: And some sort of redemption for the yes, negative yeah. things that he caused yeah. as well. I think it's quite possible that this will end with Michael dead one way or the other.
0: Yeah, I agree. And most of the Baxters dead or behind bars, I think. mm. Mm-hmm. On that positive note. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway.
0: Yes. <laughs> Let's hope for the best. I'm sure that, yeah, imagine, imagine it's a happy ending. Everybody gets what they want. Like, Jimmy ends up being a like legitimate businessman. Sophia comes back. Gina becomes buddies with that grief counselor lady. Maybe they start a romance. Who knows?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe.
0: And Carlo runs off with the co-check girl. Hotel girl, Yeah. <laughs> It's like Monique and uh, Janelle get married and she leaves the drug trade behind. (laughs) It could be a happy ending for everybody. Imagine that. That would be bizarre. (laughs) A bizarre wrap up to this show. (laughs) In the end, it was all for the best.
1: (laughs) It all worked out. They all lived happily ever after.
0: (laughs) And they lived happily ever after. All right, well, we only have two more weeks to find out what the grand scheme of this is. But I did enjoy this. It was a lot of fun, anyway. Yeah, so, I, mean, I agree with gr- you. <laughs> dark, but fun, nonetheless. Yes. We'll be back next week. And then we have just next week and the week after. So those answers are coming. And thank you for the conversation once again, Sona. Thank you. All right, talk to you soon.
1: Talk you later. We carry this weight that's dragging me
3: down. Pull me out of the drink before I start to drown all sing to where the fishes are frightening i want to hear myself think
0: again all right sarah so i haven't spoken to you since you came on the show and talked about the the patient you are a psychotherapist so i was curious when we were covering the patient to get your feedback on that and also succession is coming back for another season and we discussed that as well we had think we had discussed by the way the whole
2: Jeremy obviously,
0: Strong. Jeremy Strong's uh, technique and and that that whole thing is resurfaced now with people bringing it up yet again. Uh, and ironically enough, you know they obviously have finished season four and they just announced, by the way, that this is the final season. Season four will be the last. So I guess these people could talk as much about each other as they want at this point because they're not going to have to work together anymore.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: So you've been on the show. You've talked about the family dynamics within Succession. We've spoken about the patient, obviously, which has a connection to your line of work. And now, of course, we've been discussing Sona, by the way, huge fan of this show, Shrinking, on Apple TV+. And it's been very popular. Somewhat surprisingly, I think it's a, I don't know. I see I'm on both minds that where I'm a little surprised that the show would be as popular as it is, but it has Harrison Ford and other recognizable stars in it. And it comes from the same production team or some of the same production team who, of course, Uh, Produce Ted Lasso also for Apple TV Plus, which is also coming back in a couple of weeks, and of course that show has been a huge success. So maybe I shouldn't be so surprised that some of this kind of humane TV actually resonates with audiences. So I've been enjoying it, but obviously for me, to my untrained eyes, this seems to be pretty unrealistic (laughs) portrayal of psychotherapy. But I was curious to get your opinion. Have you enjoyed the show? Is this realistic? Do you think even if this is realistic or not, is this? a successful way to provide therapy to a patient or to a friend, feel free to run with any of those.
2: (laughs) I have a lot of opinions about it. It seems like a bit of a sleeper hit. I thought it seemed kind of like a niche thing, but I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of really good actors in it. Jessica Williams too is great. And Mm -hmm. Jason Siegel, obviously, and Harrison Ford, who I have to say, his performance in this and his sort of ethical stance in this, I Mm -hmm. really... Appreciate. I think the main thing that I've picked up on so far is that everyone in this show is going through their own kind of grief.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: And it's really portraying something that I think is very important, which is that therapists are people too. They're humans. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just because they're helping people heal does not mean that they're somehow fully healed themselves. Right. At the same time, my psychoanalytic stance and my commitment to it is there are very important clinical reasons for therapists not Mm self-disclosing and not crossing these certain boundaries because it has really um, serious implications for our patients. Just sort of seeing Jason Siegel, I mean, we get it really from the beginning that he's kind of spiraling in this sort of self-destructive cycle because of mm-hmm. all the the grief and traumatic loss he's going through. In preparation for this, without saying too much, in keeping with my my stance on self-disclosure, y- you personally know that I went through a very similar experience of a very serious loss a few years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. The implications for myself as a therapist around that, it's one of those things where you have to be able to take the time to take care of yourself and process in order to be able to show up for your patients
3: mm-hmm.
2: as fully as you can, that kind of loss, it's not just like, okay, so then you reach a certain point and then you're fine.
3: Mm-hmm. It's
2: like an ongoing process. The show has also been very personal for me in that way of what it means to be working in this field and be going through your own grief. Mm -hmm. To go back to your question about the sort of stance that Jimmy's character takes, I I think it's really interesting. The moment we see him telling his patient to leave her husband, her abusive Mm -hmm. husband, Mm -hmm. there's a very both understandable reason for him sort of saying, I can't take this anymore. You need to leave him and being very directive. I think anyone who's been in a situation where someone they love is in an abusive relationship, that desire to just sort of shake the person and say, Mm -hmm. you got to get out of this. But in a therapist-patient relationship, the danger of being too directive is like we've seen with Siegel and-
3: Sean, Sean.
2: Um, I'm actually talking about the, still about the patient who's leaving her abusive husband. Grace? Grace, thank you. The dangers in being so directive is that now she can't be honest with her, her therapist. So now she's hiding something from him. There's the scene where they're hiking and he sees her meeting up with her ex. Yeah. So then it becomes this thing where the patient has a secret and cannot turn to the person who's actually there to help her. Right, right. So that was a big one for me in terms of like the boundary crossing. Yeah. And we can get into Sean too, because that's also obviously very problematic.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's living <laughs> with him, right? Definitely cross your boundary, having Sean live with him, obviously. I would say if I have a critique of the show, which I, which I am enjoying very much, but maybe more so the first few episodes than I have here in the middle of the season, I have felt it's kind of been treading water a little bit here in the middle. You could imagine, and maybe this is my own expectations, him interceding in his patients' lives would have way more crazy consequences. And I feel like, the, if anything, the, the focus of the show has been a little more narrowed. It almost becomes not even a workplace comedy, it becomes... A friend's like comedy, just like, uh, you know, just people hanging out together. It really doesn't even matter that they're psychotherapists in these most recent episodes. And I really had expected a lot more of that, where, you know, you would see some cultural bristling between Harrison Ford telling Jason Siegel's character he had to be a little more impersonal and then we would see like almost like two step forwards, one step back for each one of these different patients. Cause it seemed like we were dipping into different characters lives. And now it's really been focused on this core set of actors and characters, even bringing in now, uh, Jason Segel's best friend and um, a lawyer as well in these most recent episodes. So it's almost like it's become like a friend type comedy rather mm-hmm. than really digging into the overall theme which I had hoped it would do a little more of. And maybe it will circle back to that. Maybe there is like another shoe that's going to drop in the next couple of episodes when the season wraps up. But I do feel it's a little messy. Another show I actually also liked very much was the second season of Ted Lasso, but it took me a while for me to get on board with season two of Ted Lasso, which also introduced a uh, psychotherapist within the team. I don't know. Do you watch Ted Lasso?
2: Oh, I I haven't gotten that far in that show. I didn't know that. Oh, I
0: recommend. In season two, interestingly, they have a team psychotherapist. So obviously that becomes more centered in the story. I find it very interesting that these creators in general are wanting to center mental health, which I think is very positive. But it is interesting that it seems to be pressing on the creative forces behind the shows as well. And interestingly, you see how the psychotherapist and having psychotherapy allows all the characters in that show to evolve and how... Jason Sudeikis' character, Ted Lasso, is pushing against that. And then there's a revelation we have late in the show, which I won't reveal here for people to watch on their own. And it darkens the show. It It makes this Ted Lasso character, this overly optimistic character, this caricature of that type of positivity, which obviously America fell in love with, that there's a darker side to that whole persona, which I thought was very interesting. And once again, maybe this show will deepen in in some way. That's my critique of a show that I nonetheless have been enjoying very much. I like these characters hanging out with each other, but I feel like they haven't made enough of either exploring the downsides and upsides of this, you know, breaking this fourth wall basically with your patients, or just exploiting it for like some of the like comedic slapstick I would have expected given the Mm -hmm. first few episodes, which I think it could have been a little more over the top and zany if they had kind of leaned into that. So yeah, I feel like playing a little safe But specifically to a couple of the points you brought up, from your perspective, obviously there is this idea of separating yourself from your patients, but we all, regardless of what we do in our lives, have to divorce ourselves from our personal history to do our jobs. And that obviously is way more demanding when you are dealing with people who have to turn to you as a confidant. So is there a line of psychotherapy that basically encourages more of this personal touch versus is there truly a hard line?
2: a couple things i think that he's getting the feedback from his colleagues from especially from from paul harrison ford's character
3: mm-hmm.
2: that there's a reason why these lines cannot be crossed right there both ethically and clinically there are reasons at the same time there is a a time and a place for what we call use of self in a therapy relationship and one actually Example of that that I had taken note of, Sean is now living at Jimmy's house, Mm -hmm. which I think also is problematic because it sort of brings up this sort of a rescue fantasy that Mm -hmm. Jimmy is involved in. If you believe that you can directly help someone in such a way where there's no separation, it creates a dynamic in which actually that person, because they're not your friend, they're your mm-hmm. patient, actually cannot talk to you about what's mm-hmm. actually going on. Right. And so when Paul comes in and he shares this piece about his Parkinson's, that is a making use of self-disclosure as a clinical technique because he then elicits a response from Sean right. about what he's actually struggling with, which is guilt and self-blame about his his time as a soldier and grief and that he's struggling with his his identity too so he actually elicits more of the emotional content that actually needs to be gotten to as opposed to when we see Sean and Jimmy i mean he literally says i don't want to talk to you it's interesting to just sort of see the way that that plays out and it's funny too at the end of that scene sean says of paul like he's way better at this than you are <laughs> to Jimmy. Right. and he's like yeah no shit at the same time that there is i think a cathartic effect of jimmy saying let's go help you process your aggression let's go help you go to the boxing ring and right. do and do some of this in a healthier context rather than having PTSD flashbacks where you're then beating up random people. Let's try to help you channel that. That is what I would consider an appropriate intervention to a point, but it's Mm -hmm. an adjunct to the actual psychotherapy. Someone you can talk to someone about what would be helpful for you. Can we think together about what would be helpful for you in terms of how you can help cope with your anger and manage it in a concrete way? But the actual therapy therapy is talking with them about the underlying feelings that are driving that aggression, that are driving those responses because he's so traumatized. And that's what Paul's character actually starts to get to. And then he feels safe enough to talk about it.
0: Something that's interesting, I think, in the show is the Krista Miller characters who has this empty nest syndrome. That these psychotherapists, like some, one of her be- her best friend, her neighbor, obviously, are all psychotherapists, throw this in her face <laughs> rather than exploring it in any way, which I find kind of ironic. Doctor, heal thyself. You know, she doesn't have an outlet for that other than. Uh, adopting this uh, daughter, who obviously was neglected for a long period of time. We're just seeing her repair that relationship with her dad. And of course, all of that is getting sticky now too, because you see not only she has this crush on Sean and Sean, obviously, or not not obviously, but at least at this point, it doesn't want to explore it because she's so young. And of course, we see at the end of this most recent episode that uh, Jimmy, right, Jimmy, Jason Siegel's character, has hooked up with uh, his friend and and coworker as well. So all of this is getting very, very complicated. And I think that's what's interesting as a, which also has in common with Ted Lasso, even in the first season, but especially the second season is, and you touched on this earlier, it's that all these people are damaged in different ways. And I kind of like the humanity of the Ted Lasso show and this one in the fact that in some ways, you can just look at them and say, you just need to turn to the right person and say these words, and they can't. And even though that's not happening, behind the scenes, uh, this unlikely group of people are helping each other through this circumstance. And, and that also makes me think about how Paul is helping as well by counseling Jimmy's daughter. <laughs> but then that raises, me a question, it raises a question also, how you were talking about how Paul is able to delineate this relationship with uh, his patients and have a more professional relationship. But meanwhile, he is seeing Jimmy's daughter uh, as a counselor. He's counseling her. And, uh, you know, he has not been forthcoming about that. Exactly. The show seems to have a perspective that that is actually pretty positive, even though it is questionable as to whether you should be counseling your co-worker's daughter behind your back. But what do you think the stance of the show is? That this is healthy behavior between these counselors?
2: That's such a good point that they're all kind of coming up against their own ethical dilemmas. And I right. think especially he's sort of counseling Jimmy's daughter, Alice, who's also a minor without mm-hmm. right. <laughs> without a parent's permission. <laughs> right. That's a right. huge no-no. <laughs> you <cannot do laughs> right. that. At the same time, we're seeing her search to have some kind of connection. And I think, you know, she needs parenting.
3: Right, right.
2: She has some parenting from Paul because her father is so, Jimmy has been so absent because he's mm-hmm. so torn up from losing his wife and her mom. So it's really a both and in that way. I guess I would say the stance of the show seems to be so far this is really complicated and muddy and there maybe is no clear answer to sort of go back to a question before this point in the season, the same way that you were sort of describing like a little bit losing interest. Like it seemed like it was going to go one way and now it's kind of muddier and Mm -hmm. in psychoanalytic therapy versus perhaps some of the more behavioral therapies there's use of self. I'm not talking about self-disclosure and t- and telling your patients about your own life. Some therapists do that, and that's a technique. I tend to be very much in the other direction. What I do use in terms of use of self, which is in, psycho- in a psychoanalytic stance, which is countertransference, which is when I feel something in a session, I know that that is related to my own experience, history, baggage, etc. It's also related to what's happening inside of the person I'm talking to. For instance, if I notice myself becoming dissociated, or if I notice myself becoming sort of angry, and it's something where the person is actually not directly talking about that, but it's the feeling is being elicited, I know that something's going on, either in me, or in the patient, or in both of us. And I use that to inform what are my next steps? What are my next questions? So it's, you're constantly thinking all the time. Psychoanalytic therapy gets criticized and maligned, particularly in this like very insurance-informed behavioral health environment atmosphere that we're in right now where, well, my therapist is so quiet and they're not saying much. It's actually because we're thinking and we're not trying to control the agenda the focus is on our patient and we're thinking and feeling constantly in order to make an intervention that is aimed at helping that person understand themselves and understand what's happening for them in a more deep way versus like if we if if we kind of go back to to there's a there's a sign on the front of the office that these therapists work. It's a cognitive behavioral therapy center. Mm -hmm. CBT therapists are people who use those more direct behavioral therapies. I think there's more of an acceptance of being more direct with people and sort of Mm -hmm. saying, I'm going to give you some advice, or here's something you should try. There's more of like an offering. And that really, Mm -hmm. I'm not criticizing that because that Mm -hmm. can really help people. Mm -hmm. But I think in terms of just the like the foundation of the show is also we're coming from a theoretical perspective where the therapists that we're talking about are probably going to tend to be more directive anyway. Mm-hmm. Is kind of yeah. what I'm
0: saying. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point you make, by the way. I think my layman's perspective of psychotherapy is more of like talk therapy purely. So it's a little off-putting to me that his coworkers wouldn't be more like completely overtly shocked by what was happening. But given what you just described there, this is another step in that direction, not just saying I suggest this, but being like, you have to do this, or I'm going to not be your therapist anymore is actually just one step beyond what he's probably been doing already, which is like giving her suggestions to her behavior, for example. And now he's like saying like, you have to do this, which of course is crossing a line, but it's not like he's never suggested this before. It also might explain why the, counselors there. And of course they're cutting him slack because they know he's having his own crises beyond that. It's like, maybe they are used to, you know, making suggestions or being like you mentioned, like bringing in their personal mm-hmm. history into the session. And this is just a bridge too far. Right. But, yeah. but it's not, you know, like the opposite of what they're supposed to be doing, which in some ways it kind of felt like to me. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting that you bring that up. Cause I hadn't even thought about the, the, the type or the brand of, mm-hmm. uh, psychotherapy that this is here, which leads me to another question. I don't know everybody's experience with psychotherapy behind the scenes here. I assume they've all been in therapy because they seem to be interested in it. They introduce these characters into their shows. Like, do you think they have writers on their staff who were psychotherapists or this is just play acting? (laughs) You know.
2: I remember when we talked about the patient, we talked about how um, there were actual therapists who were consultants on that show. So that Mm -hmm. would be Interesting to to find out if the if that's the case here. That's also a show where he had more of a psychodynamic or psychoanalytic stance. He yeah, was interested right. in talking about yeah. um Sam's childhood history, more of those exploratory things, how the trauma that he experienced as a child related to the present, that kind of thing, looking into sort of the unconscious. That's a great question. I mean, I think probably there, I would assume that there must be, there's definitely a layer of realism. Therapists who have not gone to therapy themselves, mm-hmm. I'm always curious about. In the psychoanalytic community, it's, it's considered standard that you go through your own, even your own formal psychoanalysis where you meet with a therapist or an analyst four times a week. And mm-hmm. I don't think necessarily that's the standard for other forms of therapy or behavioral therapies, but I think we're seeing how there is that question of, are the people who are helpers getting enough help themselves? Mm -hmm, And I I would say as a philosophical question, I would imagine that there's someone on staff (laughs) that's a therapist or involved in the field that's consulting, because it seems like a really important question that they're asking,
3: you know? I want to hear myself think again I want to hear myself think again